This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. ACDC's Highway to Hell album just turned 40 years old on July 27th, and as a special surprise, several rare videos will officially be delivered to the band's YouTube channel. Three of the videos are from the band's Plug Me In DVD box set of the Dutch TV show Countdown from July 13th, 1979. The videos for Highway to Hell, The Jack, and A Whole Lot of Rosie are all available now. Additionally, a clip featuring an interview with the band discussing the 1979 Highway to Hell era from the Back in Black dual disc released in 2005 will be delivered to the band's YouTube channel. On their sixth studio album and the last featuring lead singer Bon Scott, the Australian group turned up the heat and burned brighter than ever before, spreading their no-bowl rock and roll to a global audience. With more than 8.5 million copies sold around the world, Highway to Hell became the first ACDC album to reach the top 20 of Billboard's album chart, and the title track marked their first appearance on the magazine's Hot 100 survey. It also became the band's third top 20 album in their native Australia, and their first top 10 in England. I want to remind you guys that this show is sponsored by Rockabilia. Need to stock up on some of your favorite band's merch? Go to rockabilia.com and put some on your wish list. They're the one-stop shop for all your band merch needs. Need to buy a gift for someone and know what bands they're into? Pick up something from Rockabilia. You won't be disappointed with the selection, and you can get 10% off with the code PCJabberJaw. So head on over to rockabilia.com and use the promo code PCJabberJaw and save 10% today it's the metal sucks podcast with your hosts petter speich brandon hahn and jocelyn sharp ah metal sucks podcast what is going on friends out there i am your host petter speich i am always joined by my name is brandon hahn you can follow me on instagram twitter and facebook at mr hahn comedy hahn is spelled h-a-h-n hmm. scallywags okay okay and jocelyn want to teach uh, me how to spell yeah yeah you can my name is jocelyn sharp you can catch me on twitter and instagram at jocelyn sharp you can also catch me live in chicago illinois august 16th at riddles comedy club tickets available at jocelyn sharp.com shameless plug mm-hmm. and follow yes. me guys if you want shameless at Rise to Offend on Facebook, Twitter, Rise to Offend official on Instagram. This week, guys, I got to chat with Scott Lewis of Carnifex. We are here to talk about their new record, World War X, which is out right now. It came out Friday. Make sure if you guys haven't pre-ordered it or picked it up, run to your local record store and buy a physical copy or pre-order it wherever you guys can. Excellent record. Can't wait to get into that chat. But before that, as always, we want to talk a little bit about the Metal Sucks news. Don't you ever do that again. Don't you ever. <laughs> you have too many babies. This ever. is too many babies voice. Yes. Baby you, talk. You've been yeah. watching too many YouTube videos. YouTube biting his tongue trying not to sing Baby Shark. He's looking at Gooch like, can you see the microphone? Uh, I can see the goddamn <laughs> microphone. <laughs> <laughs> Who owned the news cycle this week? Tool. Tool owned it. Uh, now, I, personally, I feel that I'm, I was anxious to pre-order this record a while ago, the new Tool record, whose name did come up this week, and yet you can't yet, right? So it's August 30th, so we're a month away, but we can't pre-order it, and we haven't heard a song, like any of that matters. You're gonna, we're going to buy the record as it is, but they did release the name of that Tool album. It is Fear Inoculum, Okay. And what that means? Thank is God! That, thank God you were doing that because I was like, "What is that word?" In- inoculum. I, inoculum. Maybe I, I mean, said use, wrong. Me, mean no. using Latin roots that sounds like a vaccination for fear. That's a good point. Ah, that's exactly what it, that's something that could uh, inoculate, vaccinate, 
Yeah, bitch. Perfect score on the reading section of my SATs. Yeah, bitch. Yeah, Yeah, bitch. So that's what I mean. The yeah, bitch part really works. Yeah, right. uh, (laughs) Yeah, yeah, the yeah, bitch just deducted you a point from Mensa. (laughs) Yeah, I think think that really worked on the SATs. Um, I'm wearing leggings that look like Beetlejuice designed them right now. I am not winning in life. I don't. I'm under no illusions. For those of you that didn't know this, when Albert Einstein created. The theory of relativity. He, he was like, "Yeah, bitch," and that's yeah, pretty much MC what it squared. was. Yeah, bitch. Yeah, suck bitch. it. Suck it. They always leave that "yeah, bitch" part out in the scientific equation. But yeah, uh, you know that famous Einstein quote: "The insanity is yeah, yeah bitch." Yeah, bitch. Yeah. <laughs> Exciting. Obviously, the name finally is here, um, and the I mean, the title's great. I love the title. Fits for a Tool album. Also, this week that was a huge story. It seems like, and everybody is posting it on social media. Is that Tool's entire catalog is now on streaming services? Me, someone who obviously, hate. yeah, you did, hate streaming. I don't. Services. I don't want to say I hate anything, but my, my point is, I don't use streaming services. So this was not a non-story to me. But I mean, I saw across the internet it blew up. So I'm assuming for the past ten years. Nobody got to listen to Tool songs except for, like, illegally via YouTube? Well, this was the panic about iTunes going away because Apple users, those of us who do use Apple Music and mm-hmm. do use iTunes to get our music, if it's not available on Apple Music, you can buy it on iTunes, and then it loads into your Apple library, but, but, which we could do with Tool's albums before, but now we have them available, like, to stream. Let me, let me correct myself. I guess the YouTube was... The Tool's albums were not on YouTube either, so... It is, uh, for the first time, they're included on Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube, Amazon, and Google Play. Um, and it's even on SoundCloud. But the point is, is that, so what does that mean? Nobody listened to Tool Records for like 10 years? I, I guess this is where I'm confused, because this is not a big deal to me, because I guess I've always had it just to pull it out of the, the collection. But I, I put the CD onto my um, iTunes account, so I've, I've had it that way. But the rest of the world just didn't get to listen to Tool Records? Maybe I'm being... That didn't, didn't buy Tool? Did you guys get to listen to Tool Records in the last 10 years? Yes. But maybe I'm being pr- presumptuous and thinking that Tool's a big enough band that they didn't need to up until now. But I think now this is probably a PR move to go, okay, we need to graduate and be with the times. Well, look, the Beatles mm. just started doing it yeah, not that long it, ago. It was, so yeah. it's not like it's the Beatles. Everybody oh, started yeah. listening to the Beatles, dude. It's just... All it is is Tool is one of those last holdout bands. Mm-hmm. And I think they were waiting for this new album to come out before they were like, hey, here's some extra news now our whole catalog is available it's a really smart marketing move because if you're ever on the fence about getting an album i mean at least now they're going to make revenue off of the streaming you know because those of us who love them are going to buy the album regardless well that's what i think is that if they're on these services now their first week numbers jump up because you do get counts of people listening to your album on the streaming services so i think that this helps them in a marketing way that when they release the new record that it will have a higher uh, first week sales thing. So I, I do think it's all marketing wise. Um, and the excitement, uh, the tool, tool albums are all fantastic. Every single one of them. You know, I've heard people argue about 10,000 days for a while, but I, I think it's great except for a couple songs. I mean, we haven't been quiet about how we feel about Maynard. I mean, half the time, but I will say that I am excited for a new generation to get introduced to tool. Like, cause I feel like there is a younger generation of, of metal heads and, and people who are getting into this genre in their late teens, early twenties that didn't have kind of the education of metal that we did. But it's know? also going to be a different tool than you and I grew up. Mm-hmm. With. I mean, I mean, this is not going to be the same band that we remember. No, you know, yeah, you're right. It, there, there's going to be. There's. I'm not going to say there's going to be a drop hey, off. There's still but there mushrooms be, around. There's still well, mushrooms. Of course, thank <laughs> God for mushrooms. Um, but but you know, but you get what I'm saying though. It's like so. Yeah. I'm not going to say that my expectations for this album are through the roof because I Tool is one of those bands where every album is so different. From the last one, you get what I'm saying. It's not like they fall in. It's not like they pigeonhole themselves like ACDC, who I love. I always love ACDC, 
but it's like they don't they don't pigeonhole themselves like like you know and that's what makes Twist so great is because you're going to get a totally different sound. I think that's a good point because if the, a younger generation does find this record, I don't I don't know if a younger generation will jump to Tool right now. That's just my mindset. I think it's going to be more of this us older generation who really wanted yes. this stuff. But I think um, if a younger generation does find them at this record, this will be the record for that generation, which I think is really cool. Instead I, of being going back and be like, oh yeah, you know, Undertow, they're going to be like, fear see, knock them. My only know? fear about the younger generation in this album album is or and I'm, and maybe i'm not giving enough, enough credit i just have no faith in the youth but it's like no we none of us do I mean, especially now that i just turned 40 now i'm like yeah you whippersnappers <laughs> yeah you 40 year old yeah. <laughs> no i just think that we're used to Emeralds. our music being kind of uh part of our personalities and we're kind of tribal we're like yeah, yeah i listen to metal and then oh you listen to metal now we can talk where it's like when the 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 worst thing you can say to me and again i'm an older generation what do you listen to oh everything Mm. I don't know what that means. I don't know what that means. <laughs> yeah. What does that mean? Like you, everything? You country listen to school, polka? You know, yeah, hard, you know, jazz, metal, everything. Like, it, to me, it's like... Radish horse. All not, yes, radish none of that horse. speaks to you, like, on a, a different level. Be like, whoa, I really relate to these riffs or these beats. Or I always accept, like, uh, an answer to be like, I really like hard rock and this. Like, I can't get into death metal. Cool. I get it. That means you've done your research. But I listen to everything. It's always been something that, to me, is a throwaway answer. Well, it's a throwaway well, it's answer. Not a, it's not not a real answer either because nobody not. listens to everything well no i think they do now because if you have a streaming service no and you don't you listen to polka you don't, shuffle you don't. no you just shuffle and you're like what's this what's this anything with a good picture you, you pick on i feel the same way about movies anything like that you you're not you're gonna listen to everything because you're just gonna i feel like the people that yeah. say i listen to everything are just so non-confrontational that they just want to make sure they please the people they're talking to they don't or they know. don't even want to talk about no it. no that's that's what i mean they don't want to talk about it because they don't know they, well, here's the thing like uh, growing up that's one thing I will say about the older generation we knew about our bands we knew who was in them we knew this we knew the name of the albums we knew the song titles and now now with the shuffle even me shit I don't know some song titles or, or oh I like track three the point is that you don't know that stuff so to have a conversation is kind of harder because when you're streaming or doing anything like that where it's kind of a click away you're not going to get all that information. You're just going to get the song. So they, I guarantee you they know the songs, but they might not know who does them, if that makes sense. No, yeah, it makes no, sense. it does make sense. And that's, that's the whole difference of that's why the conversation about music is harder sometimes with people that aren't, um, I guess, a little more tribal in what they're looking for. Like, I like punk rock. I know everything about everything. You well, know, and you're right, thing. because this generation is very much about the meme. They're very much about the, like, meta joke, right? The younger generation. Like, I'm an old millennial, so I miss that. But, like, he, there was even, like, a picture recently. The kid who plays, um, you know, the you kill, You're Killing Me Smalls kid? Mm. He, he, like, saw somebody wearing the shirt and was like, yo, man, cool shirt. And they were like, who the fuck are you? Right. And he was like, um, and he took a picture with them. He's like, this is me. You're, I'm on your shirt. Like, it's just about... It's like the meme culture that it's like, it's not really about genuinely. This is what I don't have faith in youth about is nobody genuinely enjoys it. It's, it's no sincerity. You know what I realized though, just in all fairness is that I saw that they did a post on metal sucks. I think Jared Dines did something about how much you know about the shirt you're wearing. I buy my kids shirts. Like I'll buy my kid a Primus <laughs> shirt and be like, wear this. Cause I think he looks cool in that pork show. To he has no idea yeah. what Primus is. And I think there's a lot of parents that are like, here's a Nirvana shirt for my 13 year old kid. You know, 
yeah. all the band rules and they don't give a shit about the band but they wear it and then they get bullied because they don't know shit about the band i just realized i can't you know do what? that yeah anymore. that's true i can't do that anymore if pete's yeah. newborn son dio was asked what kind of music do you listen to his answer probably would be everything because he's not exactly sure what the hell he's I mean, talking i mean about. pete's right though because in high school i used <laughs> to do like everything we would get in heated arguments with people about music like music was like a part of our culture like even like this is the way it goes yeah and it's okay Cultures change. Like originally, the original rock star, you can go back to, to to the poet, to the writer, the Charles Bukowski. There was no music; there was just lyrics. And then we found the guitar, and then we went to that. Ah, fuck! And then poets slowly got out of the way, and then you had musicians. And then as technology goes, movie stars were bigger than rock stars. And then as technology goes, video games are better, bigger than all that. So it's just another form of technology moving forward. And now the rock star might be um, in one of those esports arenas that we're on, yeah. or YouTube. But that's just. It's all the same. It just means that one thing is replacing another. But, but this, you know? is, this is what I... I do gather that I think art, which art form has more merit. There's an argument to have between music, cinema, and YouTube. There's an, there's an argument to have about that. Regardless, it's the same. The new Charles Bukowski, you know, or whatever poet you guys are, or beat writer you guys want to talk about of the modern day is probably some YouTube star is what I'm saying. Yeah. But it's the same shit. But this is what I think is different about how younger people are listening to music, too, is, OK, like, let's just say we'll go on Spotify or whatever. And now all of a sudden you're making a bad religion channel. So now you're getting all these bands that sound in that genre. They sound just like bad religion when before we would watch like you know, headbangers ball or something, you would yeah. get all these different types of metal and we would all be soaking it in. I would have a page in my notebook where I'd write down music videos yeah. I saw because I would want to remember. And it's all been split up. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm saying. I don't like all these multi-genres because it's being split yeah, up. Sub-genres are bad for to- music as a totality. But that, that, that's, that, at that time, though, being original was vital for a career. Yeah. That's not... That, that hasn't been vital in... These art forms that we're talking about that are kind of changing film. There's, being original is not, not. There's no vitality to being original at all in film. Um, I think these days there's very little vitality in being a completely original voice in music these days. Unfortunately, all of the, pop music sounds the same. It, it all sounds the same. Hip hop and pop music, and, and like I said, there was a time where they, they all sounded di- very differently. There were similar bands, but now I think because so much is being rehashed and there's so much nostalgia type of thing that. It's more about, I don't know, it, it, the attention span is, is the main thing that I always go to. I can't the wait for the Spinal Tap remake. And yeah. that's why I don't, I don't talk about any, any, I don't talk any shit, because if I grew up in this generation, my attention span would be equally Garbage, yeah. as, as, as difficult, and I'd probably rather watch a guy uh, playing Hitman and making jokes on YouTube than fucking, I don't know, Goodfellas? I don't know. Which but then is weird also, to me, but. also, there's something to be said for this. I mean, we could philosophize about these young kids and how they cons- consume music, but there's something to be said for these young kids creating festival culture and what is the future of music and festival culture in that, in that there's something about the two-day concert experience that is really people have latched onto. Festival culture is just let's go hang out without rules and party right, and though. see whatever. And hang, You're right. That's a social atmosphere festival culture. Concert culture is let's go see these fucking bands, yeah. you know. Um, so festival culture is different. Now, I I appreciate the shit of a festival, but I'll say this a billion times: I've seen a lot of bands one time at a festival do their thirty minute set. I don't consider that me seeing them live. I'm like, all right, I saw a commercial of whoever back in the day, but like 
obviously the headliner counts, but the point is, is it's not the same. Even as the like, headliner is about a half hour. Maybe an it hour. might be thirty-five minutes, yeah. forty minutes. Uh, I'm know? pretty sure when Guns N' Roses headline, oh, they play Rose. two and a half hours yeah. of festivals. <laughs> I'm pretty sure of ACDCs. I'm, what I'm saying is like they're not playing a short amount of time, but that that is a. Uh, that is different. Like to me, I want to go see a concert. Like last night out here in Vegas, Holy Grail played. Um, my buddy Dennis went to get, go and see him, and he's like, "Dude, there was only like seventy people there." He goes, "But it was one of the best concerts." That is, I'm going to go see Holy Grail. You know what I'm saying? Opposed to you're making Holy that- Grail's playing the third slot yeah. on Not Fest. It's like, all right, you might be seeing the same thing, but it's not. It's, you see what I'm saying? Yes, yes, exactly. You're yeah. making your whole night around Holy Grail yes. instead of just going out there and be like, oh, Holy Grail is going to be a part of this whole festival and, and I'm going to get some funnel cake. And that's I, what I mean. I think yeah. my point is, is that it, it, to your point in that if you have a band that's like a band that's like a band, I discover a lot of bands I like by going to these festivals. Yeah, but there used to be touring festivals. Remember Warp Tour's gone now? Remember OzFest? There, there used to be touring things. Now, because of the culture, we have to just be like, it's going to be in Chicago at this time, go. Lollapalooza. Well, yeah. these used to be touring factions to... But this is the difference, though. You're right, there used to be touring festivals, but now it's all separately named festivals, but a lot of the times it's the same damn lineup. Same it lineup. is the same lineup. <laughs> yeah. So true. it might as well be a touring festival. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Good point. Just good call point. it Lollapalooza. What yeah. the fuck? Good point, good point. Speaking of festivals, guys, next story you want to touch on real quick before our interview with uh, Scott Lewis from Carnifex. Well, Tool got us down into old man talk. Yeah, we did. All right. Well, my, my, balls just, man, man. my balls just dropped an inch. Um, I did want to discuss a, a quick story. Hate breeds Jamie Jossa's beefing with churches. Now, churches with a V. Now, I'm just going to read what, what Jossa said, and this is in regards to the Dia de los Deftones second annual f- festival show that they're showing, uh, that they're doing out there in San Diego, California at Petco Park, if you guys haven't. Uh, been to Petco. It's amazing. It's November 2nd, the concert. And this is what Joss has said about um, seeing the lineup. The way the lineup set up, Deftones is headlining, then Churches, then Gojira. This is what Joss has said. Who is Churches with a V and why the fuck are they playing over Gojira? Get the fuck out of here. Have you ever heard the heaviest matter in the universe? You're going to get embarrassed off the stage. LOL. No offense. God, the music industry sucks sometimes. And then he added, update. Google churches with the V. They got to be huge. They did a song with a guy with a marshmallow mask, and people love it. Good for them. All right. So I, like Josta, in the same age bracket, we know that a metal band comes on stage. We remember seeing Pantera open for bands or something like that and crush, and nobody can follow them. That's where I think we as older folks see that way. Gojira, in my mind, will crush churches, but I'll be the guy out there in the audience being like, wow, Gojira just crushed churches and the rest of the audience will just be enjoying churches. So we're of a generation where we fight for our tribe. We're like, no, metal is better. They're, they're amazing live. They're this and that. That's where he's coming from. I understand that. The first thing I saw when I saw the poster was like, churches over Gojira? Same thought. Obviously, I'm not going to take that to social media. That's because I, I, I am well aware that Two things. I'm well aware I know nothing about this fucking band, Churches. I seriously know nothing about this band, Churches. And second, I'm well aware that that's an old man ranting at the fucking young people of the internet. So... What are you going to say, Justin? I, I see 50-50 here, right? Okay. So I see Jamie Josta's point because I also, when we first read this, I was like, fuck yeah, I'd love to go there and just watch churches like eat shit. But you're right. That's probably not what's going to happen because I'm a little, like, I think it's poor marketing in that 
they might think it's great marketing because church is social media following, blah, 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 how popular they are. But the people, the metalheads with money are old metalheads. It's us. We're the ones who are going to buy merch. We're the ones who are going to buy the nice ticket to the festival so we can sit because we're old. You know, like we're the ones that are going to, the young kids that like churches, the one you're attracting, the ones that mommy and daddy are buying their tickets aren't necessarily going to buy as much. So I think it's, I don't understand the thought process behind it. Oh, I do. I I think Deftones can appeal to that's what uh, I'm getting a wide, a wide audience churches and I think uh, fans of the band churches will run out to, to see to, that regardless yes. following Gojira is strange is going to be there to me to me an, an older metal head guy right. they're going to look like even if they put on a good show and be like dude you followed Gojira they and I've seen Gojira live as I'm sure you guys have and they will crush fucking churches but, bro I'm sorry but I'm telling you Deftones though, put them uh, see, ahead of them because Deftones is going to look 50 times better because they put the weaker act in front of them if Gojira was in front of Deftones Deftones would look less as good yeah it's like when comedians <laughs> put prop comics up exactly. before exactly <laughs> but what I'm telling that's you that's what I think no happens. offense Carrot Top you're the best one but what I'm telling you though is them putting Okay, it's it's a festival that's surrounded about the Deftones and the Deftones, like like I said, or like Pete said, they they branch out, they cover so many different genres, and mm-hmm. I could see a lot of people showing up for that band. I know you're right, but here's my thing: is I just just I, because I, it's the Deftones and putting it on. Maybe I'm also a little bit of like because this vibe, the the the, tw- the tweet, what are these tweets? Yeah, the tweets Jamie Justin put out has like the vibe of like your angry dad in the den in a recliner, like yeah. drinking a beer, where yeah. he's like fuck that and fuck this, yeah. like. I feel that same vibe and maybe that's me being it. I just feel like, I don't know. I feel like the people that would really love to see that festival lineup, I feel like it's such a strange wrench in the middle of it. I almost feel like Jamie Josta was tweeting that out while wearing a shirt that says disco sucks. He you was definitely wearing tidy whities when he <laughs> tweeted it. So fuck you. <laughs> well, Lauren, Lauren Mayberry from Churches, the vocalist, uh, she did respond to Jasta. So this is what she said. Deftones curated the lineup, so I don't know how that speaks to problems with the music industry. I think it's important and powerful that they promote the idea of a diverse community and try to bridge gaps instead of being guided by limiting, antiquated ideas about genre. I rolled my eyes at that, sorry. I saw Gojira in Glasgow years ago and have seen Deftones three times, so was excited when we got asked to be on the bill. Just because someone plays or listens to pop music doesn't mean they don't understand or appreciate other things. And then Jossa responded... I'm sure they're lovely people in a popular group. I don't agree with the line up order. Same with other festivals. If anyone is butthurt about my opinion, wait till you hear the podcast. Metal needs to be shown more respect, longer career, legacy, more albums, bill them higher. So go listen to Jamie Justice's podcast if you guys want more out of that one. But the the point is... Um, I get what he's saying because there is this thing in entertainment where it's it's like you need to kind of like respect like mm, somebody's journey. But that's not the way that entertainment really if works. If they're not drawing people, yes. their legacy and stuff like that, it's a gift to put them at a certain spot. Mm-hmm. ZZ Top should be above Guns N' Roses. Okay. Mm-hmm. Take it easy. Motorhead should be above Metallica. Legacy, longer careers. Yeah. But in actuality, let's be honest here. Right. The draw is the draw. Um, and that's that's what I mean. So I, I agree and I disagree with him uh, on that. But I, I I like that he's sticking up being like, because he's is, in a metal bed. He's like, dude, God damn it. We deserve. I honestly, I'm going to be honest. I'm stuck part, in the know? middle on this because yeah. I see her part. Because, you know, obviously you want you want to be open minded and it is good to, uh, you know, introduce people to new things. I get that. But at the same time, though, Jamie's 100 percent right when he says that metal deserves more respect. Yeah. I mean, it's like this this redheaded stepchild shit is getting it's getting old now. It's getting very old. Well, metals like th- there is something to be said for the fact that like we we if 
there's there's a weird i don't know what it is like why is the economy so different for metal than it is for these like pop bands well, like because, there's just as well, many because it's because you can modern times though anything that is is angry or dangerous or something like that i think in modern times is seen as is is some sort of unhealthy type of i also think people too are too sensitive so they couldn't that's listen, what I mean. they when, couldn't listen to an iron maiden album and be like what like in, they a, would just, in a sensitive society look at you guys are comedians look at comedy i oh, look yeah. at look at what kind of comedians are getting booked or hbo special have you guys seen the last three hbo specials jesus christ you know like they're not even comics they're just getting clapped there, right is that what it is people don't even laugh at these people they just clap to agree with them that's comedy what the fuck happened? Right. So when you have a certain kind of society that is walking on eggshells and tiptoeing, they're going to ignore certain things. And I think that that's where metal is in a, a rough spot because metal is an honest, angry right. art form. Whereas our economy, Honest, yeah. angry, or offensive comedy, no but this time is, this for is it right the, now. This yeah. is the difference that I've noticed in recent, uh, you know, in the last like 50 years, the way, you know, if you, if you go back and listen to how your parents talked and whatever. Uh, the generation after us is the first generation I don't think we fear. You know, like there is there's like, oh, we, you're right. We're not yeah. scared of the younger kids. We're not scared of yeah. the younger kids. Back before, in the day, our parents were scared of us. Right. Yeah, right. Yeah. Well, that's what I'm getting Good at. Call. I mean, it's like back in the day. I mean, you look at what some of these uh, these uh, the performers were doing and laying their bodies on the line, moshing and, you know, wall of death and whatnot like that is not allowed now. That is not allowed now. So you see these young people out there, and I don't know. It's uh, well, let's say it's not allowed here in America because we live in America. In other parts of the world, obviously, you okay. know, metal is still king. Metal is still we're, we're uh, just so everybody knows we're talking primarily about our culture here in America. Other places are. are, are I not understand the same. that. Yeah, I understand that. Same. We also have a, a very, like I said, what happened politically was the biggest wake up call for us in America. Where other countries might be dealing with that on some scale, but this was like a real shakeup. So that's why we're dealing with all this. People don't even want to laugh, it seems like. We talked about what's the last, who, who's the Adam Sandler of this generation? Who's dumb comedy? Where's your jackass, guys? I want jackass Ford now so I can sit in a theater and laugh. God, Johnny and Knoxville would die. My yeah, fucking, yeah, 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 it's like it's not allowed. Who, yeah. who is the comedian that's of this generation? That's how Johnny Knoxville paralyzes himself. <laughs> I want no more clapter. I want laughter, goddammit. <laughs> I agree with both of you on, the, on this. Like, uh, there's just, there's um th- when it comes to like comedy and like all this sensitivity P- pete hit the nail on the head this political correctness this this politic thing that happened in america when when trump was elected um i don't mean to say voldemort's name, name out loud but when he was elected like it really changed the way that people consume now it's about consuming things that show other people you're a good person like it's not about consuming things that are good or consuming things that are genuine it's like ooh, look at how i like this thing not saying diversity is bad but look at how i like this thing just because it's so diverse you know like that it's it's about virtue signaling. It's just that's all it is. Well, back in the 80s and 90s, if you listen to a lot of the music, a lot of the comedy, it was all about, if you don't like it, fuck you. And then apparently that got morphed into taking away in the younger people trying to limit free speech. It's, it's like, I don't like it. Well, now I don't want you to be able to say it now. You know, and it's like, and it's gotten, and that, and that's the young people that are doing this because they don't understand, they don't no, understand they, the precedent har- they, that they're setting. Yeah, their hearts into their it. Their hearts in the right place, but they, they don't understand how things work and they don't understand the consequences of exactly. limiting young any people, kind of thing, which, which is fine. They'll learn and the next generation after that will follow. But what I'm We're saying, just in that pocket right but now. But what I'm saying though yeah. is the world is conforming to that. 
the world is conforming to young people that don't know, that don't understand. Uh, uh, the world has to conform to young people. They're the future. Yeah. That's, that's how it's supposed to be. Don't, wor- don't worry. Their kids are going to be a bunch of Reaganomics, 40-hour work week industrialists. Don't worry. <laughs> Fucking Don't <hell>. worry. Jesus. <laughs> like- <laughs> we went long this week. So um, with that, guys, real quick, this month. Kill Switch Engage will release their new album, Atonement, via Metal Blade Records, boasting a guest appearance from former Kill Switch Engage singer and current Light the Torch vocalist Howard Jones. Atonement sparks a pyre of metallic mastery. Kill Switch Engage have once again lengthened their legacy while blazing another new path. Purchase your copy of Atonement now at metalblade.com slash killswitchengage. Once again, metalblade.com slash Kill Switch Engage. You're looking for an epic weekend of rock, metal, motocross, and more? Check out Exit 111 Music Festival, October 11th through the 13th in Manchester, Tennessee, featuring Guns N' Roses, Def Leppard, Leonard Skinner, Slayer, Deftones, Ghost, ZZ Top, and over 30 more. Order tickets before August 16th for as little as $55 down. They're on sale now at Exit111Festival.com. Once again, Exit111Festival.com. And now, let's jump into my interview with Scott Lewis from Carnifex. Everybody, what's going on? It's Petter with the Metal Sucks Podcast. On the phone, I got Scott from Carnifex. We are here to talk about the new album, World War X, which is out right now, guys. So make sure you're picking it up. The new album, World War X, has this, that signature Carnifex crushing sound, but has a strong atmospheric element throughout. Tell us about the importance of those elements for this album. They were, man, they were so crucial, you know, for, for us bringing in other layers of atmosphere, uh, other layers of musicality, um, of emotion with, you know, whether it's strings or electronic sound or, you know, a sample, you know, we sampled, uh, we sampled the machine gun that Jesse Ventura uses in Predator in Forest Scene, uh, in, on the record actually. (laughs) So, um, we have all sorts of weird layers in there that, that just add these extra things to it. And so I, they're pretty crucial and they're pretty big parts of the songwriting process. Now that you brought up Predator, I'm going to have to jump into action movies for a little while here because I virtually just, I, I'm one of those guys where I saw the remake of the Predator, or I don't know if it's a remake at this point. I don't know what version it is. The one that just came out. Did you have a chance to see this one? I the one the Shane Black didn't know. I, uh, yeah, the Shane Black one. Yeah, I, and, and let me just say, how exciting is that? Shane Black is doing the Predator, right? And I, I believe, thought that was great. Yeah, I, and then Fred Decker, I believe, is the other guy that's involved. Who, if you haven't seen, did RoboCop three, but um, Night of the what did he do in the eighties? That was awesome. Night of the Creeps. Did you ever see that one by chance? No, I don't think I did. Dude. Anyways, they um, haven't seen it, so we can't discuss it too much, but. Action movies, man. I got to tell you, like, I, I kind of write them off after two or three sequels are bad. Like, I kind of wrote mm-hmm. off Mission Impossible or Fast and the Furious because I didn't really like the first part. But all my friends are saying that I'm really missing out, that the last three Mission Impossibles are amazing. Have you watched these? Can you vouch for this? Um, I know the newest one is, is definitely good. And then the one before with this protocol was pretty good. Yeah, I think, that, you know, some of those bigger franchises, I think they're realizing that. You know, they kind of can't shoot them like an 80s or 90s blockbuster anymore. They kind of have to give people a little more depth, a little more human emotion and stuff like that. And I think 
you know, the, the Mission Impossible series has been really good about that. Obviously, the Marvel movies are probably doing it the best right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is cool to see the other franchises, you know, update and kind of be less about just the set pieces and, uh, you know, the alpha and, you know, more about these characters and their emotional through lines as well as the action. I think it's vital. I think it's very important. Every time I've saw one of those films that were like, uh, I don't know, the Maze Runner trilogy or something like that, when I sat through those, I remember there was no human characters. It was just about action, action, action. And you're right. That kind of ran its course um, because of the Marvel movies. That's a very good point because we are so invested in all those characters at that point. Um, DC didn't get that right, but Marvel, yeah, definitely. Right. Um, <laughs> well, you know, that's because at DC you have, you know, you have a movie by by a board, you know, movie by committee, where at Marvel you have a visionary, Kevin Feige. So, you know, that's, you, when you're putting, you know, 25 story arcs together, you can't do movie by committee. You have to have a singular vision. And Marvel has that. DC doesn't at the moment. They did when they had Nolan for the front, for the Batman oh, series. Oh, yeah. No, that, that, that was a singular vision, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. But, but the new ones, not so much of a singular vision. It, with the exception of maybe Wonder Woman, you know, that was Patty Jenkins. She had a lot of control over that. You, you see that in the quality of the film. You know, and I did like Wonder Woman. And I, I do feel it's a better quality film, as you mentioned. And I do like that you brought up the, the Nolan Batmans because I think that what he did with those characters and Batman, you need to take 10 years off. And they're forcing, trying to give a mediocre version of what trilogy might be the best film trilogy in the last 10 15 years i mean i guess you can argue with marvel or something like that but in in actuality like filmmaking wise don't you think the dark knight trilogy is probably in the top two in the last 20 years yeah i i mean yeah absolutely i thought it was astounding it was probably it probably you know when did that first batman come out i think it was around the time or maybe just before the first iron man Mm -hmm. you know so i think for you know, if you look at that time frame, Dark Knight came out in 05, mm-hmm. and then Iron Man came out in 09. I would say that, you know, that first Batman movie really set the table for what a auteur's take is on the superhero genre, which I don't think we had seen before. Mm-hmm. I think it had only been, you know, the studio looking for the summer blockbuster and their take on what the superhero film should be. But then no one comes in with a singular vision and gives and gives you know, lends cinema to a superhero story. And then, you know, Marvel really ran with that later. But and I, th- I think that Batman franchise was the kickoff. You're completely right, because you think about everything that was great. Marvel-wise, you had Joss Whedon when he did the Avengers. Um, James Gunn doing this. It's all auteur-based. Guys that wrote mm-hmm. and directed their singular vision. You're completely right. Zack Snyder, who kicked off the DC world, if we may, with the... Batman, or no, the Superman movie, right? Superman, yeah. Man of Steel was good. That was actually a solid flick, actually. I liked it, yeah. Yeah, It was really good. But um, Superman is the guy that's really tough for me because he's invincible. That's a different topic altogether. But uh, I guess the point is is that I like the fact that you brought up the auteur because most people, when they think of an artistic filmmaker or director, if they go to do some sort of thing like a comic book franchise, they lose that tag. Because you did mention that you felt Christopher Nolan was the first auteur to take over, but Tim Burton isn't seen that way anymore because he's always done the blockbusters. Do you agree with that? Well, yeah, that's tough. Um I mean, you know, I don't want to take anything away from Tim Burton in any way. He's a total visionary. I, my taste, 
um, you know, no judgment on Burton in any way, of course, but it's just, yeah, I think you're right about the summer blockbuster. I think even though um, Burton really is a visionary, he he always has been in the studio system. You know, he's always had very huge films. Um, you know, I mean, Edward Scissorhands and just like just mega stars from day one. You know, no one. If you go back to his first film, Following. That's, you know, it's like a black and white, right out of film school. Following, yeah, it's, you're right, yeah. Yeah, it's like a zero-budget, you know, mystery. And then Memento, to me, is like that, you know, that indie thriller hit that was just super clever. Every problem was solved with creativity, not money. And, you know, so I guess I didn't, and I was kind of there for that. You know, I watched Memento when it came out and then went back and watched Following you know, when Nolan was still kind of coming up. So to me, I I guess I'm more plugged in with his career arc than Burton's, whereas Burton's really been in the studio system for such a long time, you know. And, 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 he, and Burton does relate more to the child aspect, or as you mentioned with Nolan, he did when he entered the studio system and they're like, here's a remake for you to do, he made it his own, which I believe was Insomnia. And I think that was after Memento. I don't remember off the top of my head. Um, yeah, with, with Insomnia. And that was the mm-hmm. remake from the the Danish version of the film. But oh, see, I didn't know that was a remake. That's yeah, yeah, he, okay. it was. Uh, Stellan Skarsgård um, was the original right. guy that did that film, or with the original actor in the Al Pacino role, and they uh-huh. remade it. So it was only about three or four years apart. But you can tell that he took it and he made his own. If you watch both versions, they're completely same story, but completely different. He even put it in Alaska and America, and that film I think didn't get as much credit as you know, um, a lot of his other films because it was a, a real great, you know, revisioning, if you may, but it showed that if he enters the studio system, he'll play ball. A lot of the other auteurs, if we if we talk about the famous ones, is it possible for a, you know, Quentin Tarantino or a Martin Scorsese or even a Brian De Palma to really take notes and kind of look at that audience? Or do you think you had to have grown up at a certain time to understand the comic book world or, or kind of that vision? No, I I think it probably would it would come down to how much passion they have for the project. You know, I think that the, those guys in that position they'll probably bend enough to, to get the pro, to be on the project that they want. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, true. <laughs> so I think you know I think Nolan is probably the guy that realizes that hey, you do Batman right, you can make Dunkirk for sixty million and shoot it on IMAX like done if he'd never done Batman. No one would have let him do that without a World War One British, or World War Two British war film, you know? Yeah. I don't think they would have greenlit Inception if it wasn't for... The, oh. Think about that script. Just the script. He alone. said he had it for 10 years. He yeah. said he had that script for 10 years and no one, they were like 194 pages. Are you kidding? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, after the so, Dark Knight, yeah, you're good, man. <laughs> yeah, right? It's like, okay, you know, you just made... Uh, Three, four billion dollars off that. I mean, more than that, probably with all the the other licensing rights, billions. Yeah, sure. Let him make his space movie. <laughs> Excellent. He he may be. Now that we're talking about, it, he may be the director that um can take anything and make it because of his film knowledge and make it work. You know, like we as we mentioned, most auteurs when you think about it, Joel and Ethan Cohen. You, you don't want to see them do a superhero movie. You want to see them do their world. They have their own world. 
even Martin McDowell, Donna, the guy that did Three Billboards, he's got his own little world. I don't know how to say his name, sorry. But Right, yeah, no, and um, like Taylor Sheridan, you know, he did yeah. Sicario, Wind River, mm-hmm. uh, he's got the show on Paramount, I can't think of the name right now. He wrote Hell or High Water, correct? But yeah, he directed Hell or High Water as yeah. well, yeah, that he, I think he was the director on Wind River as well. He was, so, right? yeah, he did do that yeah. one, um, but very good writer, and yeah, completely right, and the other guy, Jeremy Salnier, that did Green Room. Yep, same, yeah. It, same dude, but they're, they're going to television. They're going to television. Yeah. Well, because writer, the writer's king in television, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Especially if you're a guy like Saulnier or a guy, you know, one of these kind of up-and-coming guys that's coming out of features with some hits, they're going to make you the showrunner, which means you're the boss, you know? And to be a writer and to be the boss, but to be able to hire directors and all that crew, that's like, that's the ultimate position as a writer, you know? And you get to stay at home. I mean, you got to think about it. It's more nine to five when you're doing a show than a film, you know. So, well, you know, if you're doing like well, True Detective season three, the other yeah. he was a writer on that, and or he he Jeremy directed those first two episodes, and I, he may have wrote on it, but you know, they're shooting on location in Louisiana. So, I think you're. Tra- I think now television, especially like prestige television, you're probably going to travel for location. Yeah. Um, but. I got to tell you, yeah, True Detective season three, and then we'll get back to the record. I, I I was very disappointed. I was very invested in the first seven episodes, and I was very disappointed with the finale. Did you have a chance to watch all that? Uh, I did, but I have not given it my second watch. Which is, you know, now that I know the story, I feel like now I want to watch it again. But kind of like having some, you know, insight, better yeah. insight. Yeah. Um. You know, it's. I thought it was great. I think, I think that recapturing season one is was going to be almost impossible. You know, they, it, they just sort of set out, set themselves up for an impossible task. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he wrote a book. The guy, I, the guy that did that, it was called Galveston. I think they made a movie out of it with Ben Foster. Um, but I haven't. I don't know. I haven't yeah, Nick, seen it. Nick Cusolato is the is the guy. I did. Yeah. No, that came out yet. Is the Galveston movie out already? I th- I'm pretty sure it was with Elle Fanning and and Ben Foster. And um, oh. but oh, that was a quiet release. <laughs> if you if you read the book, it would be a fantastic season yeah. of True Detective. Um, but again, yeah, the, I, if you if you guys look it up, it, it should be out. I don't want to quote that, but I do remember it seeing it like on a in demand type thing. So. The but that would have been a great one. But anyways, yeah, season three. Maybe I should revisit it because I remember feeling so let down by that that last episode. Um, but man, I, they had me hook, line, and sinker all the way through, all the way through performances. Ugh, just just such a good good season. So, but yeah, I gotta I gotta I gotta revisit that for sure. So let's revisit what we're here to talk about, and that's World War X. Now, this is an apocalyptic album. What do you think is the biggest threat to our extinction? It's got to be ourselves, hmm. obviously, right? <laughs> um, yeah, I would say it's it's us. You know, it's our perspective. You know, the royal us. It's how we treat consumables, how we treat each other, um, how we sort of treat what we value. You know, money and things versus health and well, you know, well-being. Um, so yeah, it's ourselves. I think that's. That's kind of the nature of humanity is we we have this wonderful ability to, you know, build everything we've built. 
but then you know we have all the ability to go completely the other way on the spectrum it's just it's about trying to find that balance and you know i don't know yeah i think maybe an end's inevitable yeah. <laughs> you know what i mean nobody said that we get a happy ending now, do you think that we're all taught to be self-destructive, though, and because we're self-destructive that we don't care about all these other things that are the long game? I mean, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know. It's different for everybody. Obviously, there's not everybody is just sort of marching towards this demise blindly. Um, but I think we're kind of at a sh- maybe a shift where people are realizing that there, there's a finite amount of everything. And that at some point, uh, consequences need to be considered. So maybe it's a turning point. We'll see. Do you think that modern times and how we consume news and media and just culture uh, brings much paranoia um, to you as a performer or just anybody traveling? It doesn't bring paranoia to me, no. Um, I try, you know, the reality is statistically the world has never been safer. You know, mm-hmm. violent crime has never been lower in every city across the world. Um, more people are being born than dying at a rate that's absolutely unprecedented for humankind. So I guess we're safer than ever. So I don't. I think you have, you could turn on Twitter or any type of news outlet and blast yourself in the face with Apocalypse 24-7 if you choose to. Um, but that's because that, but that's channeling. It, but it's only channeling that. So that's all you're going to get. But that's not the full spectrum of what's actually out in the world. So I would just say, realize that those are companies whose goal is to have eyeballs to generate revenue. And maybe use your own eyes <laughs> away from the screen to see what's what. I love I love what you just said. I, I Corey Taylor recently said something in a in a quote similar about saying it's it's harder to be an individual these days for young people than it was um, while we were growing up. Um, in the vein like that, I didn't quote him perfectly, but do you kind of agree with that statement? Do you think in, being an individual is much harder in this day and age? Well, it certainly seems like everybody has a there's a much more clear uh, expectation. Right, you know, when I was growing up, it was, it was pre-social media, so the only expectation I really was aware of were, you know, the kids I went to school with, which is which is something, but it's not, you know, I'm not really seeing beyond that as a fifth grader or a sixth grader. You know, my world is pretty limited, where now, you know, of course, you can see everything, so maybe what's in front of you and what you think you need to be is really something that's not even real life and it's probably might not even be around you in real life but it's in your hand and it's part of our culture in a way that it is woven into our real lives and i didn't have that i'm um, 34 so i didn't have that growing up and i'm thankful for it because man you know i i couldn't fit in and was an outsider from day one to begin with so social media was in the mix it, it probably wouldn't have been great. <laughs> I no, I, I'm same demographic as you, and I felt the same way. As as long as, but that's the thing is that I, I get the I don't get arguments, but discussions with people is when I say my world when it's small and I focus on my day to day with the people I run into or talk to. That's my real life. They'll always combat that with like, no, you're ignoring the reality, which is beyond your world. But 
I feel like if I keep it small and in that time frame, you know, of, of what I actually experience, that that's a fair assessment of real life. But do you think that I'm being naive kind of in a way to close out what I'm getting fed through all these other platforms? Well, I, th- I think the first thing that has to be acknowledged is there's no black and white. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, that's a myth to begin with. And that's something that comes out of puritanism. Puritanism, it comes out of religiosity, it comes out of this kind of faux morality. That Those are all societal constructs. So the idea that you're either one or the other and pick one is a false notion. Uh, I think no one person can do everything, but everyone can do something to borrow the platitude. So, you know, um, I think, yeah, at the end of the day, you're an individual that you have to get through your life. Life is meant for living. And, um, yeah, your friends are what matter. That is your day-to-day, and those are the things you're responsible for. Part of your contribution to society is living a life that is in concert and peace with those around you. So I would argue that you are being contributing to the world. Thank you. That's I'm glad you took my side on that. I've always told people that. I'm like, guys, look, I have I have two boys and I go, if I take care of them and I show them the way, that's my contribution to society in a positive way to teach them to be kind. I go, that's all I have power over or control. Right. You know. Absolutely. And if I let everything else infect me, in essence I'm gonna infect them. You know, and then I will lose my only power or responsibility to society by doing that. That's the way I see it. But I simplify things because I feel things are simple. And I do believe in what you just said, that there is no black or white. I don't believe in things like justice. I don't believe in things like truth. Now, mathematical truth, yes, one plus one equals two. But we can see the same movie, the same story, or the same thing occur, me and you, and have completely different truths based on memory and all these things. Do you, do you kind of agree with that a little bit or no? Yeah. Yeah, no, of course I do. It's, I mean, I think that's kind of, I think that's a notion that we're sort of realizing as a society, too. You know, you see it not just in, in the characters they're portraying on TV or in the things that we're talking about right now, where, like, you know, you can contribute to the good of society in a way that doesn't mean, you know, you're doing sit-ins and lock, lockouts and really this, you know, very active participation um you know, there is other ways to be effective, and I, I believe that, you know. Yeah, absolutely, dude. No, it's cool, man. Now, lyrically on this new record, World War X, if you guys haven't checked it out, make sure you do. Um, there's not a lot of hopefulness on the album for the future. I mean, obviously it's a work of art, but do you relate to this hopelessness on any personal level currently? Well, I mean, the record, I don't think the record comes to conclusion. Mm-hmm. You know, the thesis is not... Um, you know, do we get the happy ending? Thesis is, are you going to fight for it or not? Um, and I think it doesn't matter if you, you have to go into the fight regardless of the outcome. Um, if you only go in, if you're going to win, then I would argue that that's probably not what a fight is. <laughs> you know, a fight is something that you you put it on the line, and the outcome is determined after the fact you know you have to do the fight to get the result and so that's what the album is about the album is about not being idle and not being passive and not being a victim of your own circumstance but instead going on that front line facing the challenge and 
maybe you die out there, or maybe you make it home, but you have to go. It's the long game. I like that. And if you think about athletes like football players, they might win the short game, but the long game, it looks like a lot of times might affect them in different ways, you know? Um, mm-hmm. yeah. and that's, that's something we don't learn because we, we focus in the present. A lot of us that, Hey, how did this affect me down the road as we're getting older and things like that? So, um, one thing I did want to bring up is that you guys got some guests on this record for sure. The first song that we heard was, uh, you had Alyssa from Arch Enemy on there. And as we were mentioning with the atmosphere, how did she get involved in the project and the placement for her voice in that song that you guys uh, did together? Well, we were connected through um, the label, through mm-hmm. our label, Nuclear Blast. And, um, you know, we went to them with a lot of the ideas that we had for the album pretty early on. So they, they knew we wanted some guests and some of the other ideas we had for the records and the videos and whatnot. So they helped us uh, get in contact with her. And then from there, we uh, had a pre, you know, pre-production demo of where the song was at that time. This is probably September of last year. And um, we, we sent her the demo and I did, you know, kind of the idea for the song, the, the theme of the lyrics, and, and started trading ideas pretty much right away. She really responded to the track. And we worked on the song... You know, through the rest of the year uh, until what, what you hear on the record. And then we, we recorded in uh, January of the, of the beginning of this year. Nice. And now that it's a very, the way the record's formatted, sequenced, it, the, the song does come in at a very, like, kind of a, a crescendo point for the listener. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And uh, so that was all calculated, I'm assuming. Is that fair to say? Yeah. Oh, yeah. We, we were very. Um, you know, intentional with the sequencing. Um, and even in the writing process, you know, we knew where songs were going to sit. Um, we knew By Shadows That Hell was going to be the closer. We knew World War X was going to be the opener. Um, so it was, it was all very by design. And and people ask me a lot, what's your favorite song? What's your favorite song? I, it's, one, it's one piece, you know. <laughs> do you wish sometimes you can play it in its entirety, like the, the records you guys do? Well... No, not all of them, because, you know, I, in my opinion of our records is probably very different than the audience. Um, you know, this album, I think, would probably be the first one that I would really say, yeah, yeah let's, 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 we could play this all through all the way live, and I would be, I would feel good about that. I feel like, you know, of course, I love Slow Death and, and the other records, but they're, but they're not one pieces. You know, those are, it's a song, it's albums worth of songs. They weren't necessarily designed to be presented like that exclusively, you know? Yeah, no, completely, man. As we mentioned, like the Alyssa song, then it goes into the track featuring Angel Vivaldi. uh, And the guitar work, you know, is very intricate that he does. It adds a big element to that. And Mm -hmm. then um, as we keep going, I I think two tracks later, we hit Hail, Hail Hellfire, which is probably my favorite track on the record. But it it goes, dude, that song goes, just, it just ends with this, like, World War X is a beast that opens, and then Hell, Hellfire, even though it's not the last track, it seems to be the, the calm before the storm, you know, type of thing. I don't know how to explain it, right before the last track. And so, that sequencing, though, and the way that it does that, the journey goes by so fast, but like you said, it feels like a full 
concept almost record together, you know. Um, and I don't, I don't know, I, I don't know if considered you would consider this a concept record, um, but writing in that format does that keep you guys exciting to be able to do that in the future, or do you want to just revisit that if if it feels right later? No, it was exciting, mm-hmm. honestly. As a narrative device for me as a writer, it was exciting, and, that, and I was really looking for something, you know, it, for the new record, like. I, I had to find a way to get new new scale and new scope. You know, the guys are writing this really big music, and I go, man, you know, my lyrics are so personal. They're very one to one, speaking a lot in the first person, and kind of directly to an individual. I really needed a framing device that 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 took me back, you know, and do that one shot. Uh, and so, using war and the battlefield and this sort of dystopian death trip that the album is is that framing device that allowed me to get that scale and it ha- in your mind is it cinematic in a way because we were talking about films obviously you know your stuff yeah and all that stuff so I mean, that's an excitement you too yeah. you know those, those vids were were you know very intentional and i mean we shot those like films those, those are shot you know it's shot on a sony red it's a sixty thousand dollar camera we saw we shot with anamorphic prime lenses you know these are feature quality lenses um you know it's dead no light it was a twenty four thousand dollar music video you know what i mean it's like we went for it like this this the whole thing was cinematic it's it's meant to be a world you know it's the cfxu <laughs> the carnifex universe nice dude that's all just ex- super exciting man I'm, and i like congratulations to even putting it together and putting it out there you know that's a huge thing a lot of guys have the scope but the vision's limited to you know what they have to deal with but it seems like you got your vision co- correct on this all the way through and well yeah it's a, it's a lot of you know it is a lot of compromise but but the, in the best it's it, like it's financial compromises not creative compromises you know mm-hmm. um and yeah, to to be produce both videos and then to direct World War X was really amazing for me to be involved with the song, involved with the lyrics, cast the video, scout the location, you know, be right there with the DP over his shoulder while we shot that whole thing. It was like a sixteen hour day. It was just a really wonderful thing to see kind of see the whole idea all the way through from all aspects. It was the first time I was able to do that. Nice, man. And currently you are on the Summer Slaughter Tour. We got a week and a half left of the tour. Um, this year we went back to the metal. You guys are co-headlining this year. Um, how has the festival been for you guys so far? It's been fantastic. Mm, nice. um, yeah, it's really been fantastic. I think the attendance is way up from last year, which is awesome. Um, the promoters are happy. The fans have been, it's like all the comments are about what a great show it is. All the, all the bands are really just giving such a fantastic performance. I think Faceless has probably never sounded better than this tour right now with the lineup of musicians that they have. So it's just, uh, I think it's just, a, it's, it's a great tour because it's just every band on it is, it's like this hardworking active band. There's no like legacy acts on it, which, you know, I appreciate a legacy act as much as everyone else, but the reality is, is they're, they're overpaid and they underdraw. And um, I think it's time that the working class bands like us, Cattle, Water Shore, Faceless, Rivers, like 
it's time we get some credit. And we're all carrying the tour just fine. The tour's doing great numbers. And it's just cool. It's just all working, hard-working bands. Excellent. No, it's fantastic live. Rivers put out one of the best albums of last year, as you mentioned, Cal Decapitation. I don't know. Every time I've seen them, it's been a packed house. You guys, Faceless, I am glad to hear that they're doing well. I won't lie. We've said some stuff about them in the past where um, they're not exactly, you know, there's been some troubles, but it's great to hear that they're back on point because obviously they are one of the most talented bands that we've seen in the last 20 years. Um, so it's great. They've no problems with them on the tour so far. It's been fantastic. Oh, dude, it's just been everyone. It's just like a musician's tour, frankly. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like just people that, it's just everybody's backs. Like, it's really kind of a choir backstage. Like, we were joking about it because, you know, we did the 2016 one with Campbell and Nile and Suffo. So, mm. you know, you got a lot of older acts on here, right? So it's, it's all about the party and the rage and all this stuff. And then you get these, all these working, hardworking bands on here. And it's like, Everyone's backstage tuning the guitar, warming up. Like, you have so many, like, really kind of guitar-centric bands on this tour that uh, it's just like a lot of musicians hanging out having coffee. It's kind of funny. <laughs> I, I just think that's how it is maybe with the, young, the younger generation of musicians. You guys had to – what's the word I'm looking for? The hustle. Was we had to so, work for it. Dude. Yeah, you had to work for it. The, the hustle was <laughs> so legit in your in your era, where before there was a lot of there was a lot of a machine that pushed, like you're oh, talking yeah. about. You know, um, we had to fight that machine. Dude. You, 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 we're you, still fighting that machine. <laughs> you're worth something. Oh, you are. There you go. And and that's probably the way to go, though. That DIY used to be a stamp that people don't get credit for anymore as much as they used to. I feel, but. Um, that DIY is such an important element of survival. Do you agree with that? Because then everything's in your hands opposed to one major mistake might knock you guys completely back way, like years, you know? Do you agree with that? I mean, I, I do, mm-hmm. but, but there's always a but, you know? Yeah. Just like everything's gray, you know, there's, there's the flip side of everything. And all the power in your own hands also means that, you know, you're not a kid at the cool table. And whether you like it or not, this industry is about cool tables, man. Mm. And if you're not there, your band has to be undeniably successful to, for anyone to even give you a chance. Because there are so many guys sitting at that cool table that have bands with no fans. Oh, but they're going to be opening everything for the next year. <laughs> and two, they get tired of them and they don't pop off, they don't stick, and they cut them and they try it with a new band. But getting noticed from the outside like we are, it's tough, man. It's yeah. real tough. No, I, I, I can only imagine. And it just, it, 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 you did it your way. That's the most important thing in any art form. <laughs> yeah, we did it our way, which means, you know, we're a self-represented death metal band. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So but it's a very small world that we're in, um, and a very hard world to get out of. You know, not, not that we're trying to escape it, but, you know, to get an opportunity to open for lamb of god or you know anthrax or in this moment you know those calls aren't coming to deathcore death metal bands yeah no i understand man i understand but the uh the niche audience is loyal right there, there's always a silver lining i'm trying to but deep Narrow but deep <laughs> loyal but deep yeah. right yeah yeah so if you, if you can yeah. if you can get it just right mm-hmm. then yeah you can't you can make a career like Campbell's. Um, but man, it's like 
you get hit that bullseye from like 500 yards. You know, very few bands could do it. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you right now, World War X is going to continue that for you guys. Fantastic record. <laughs> great, great listen. Everybody's got to check it out, man, for sure. As I mentioned, it came out this Friday, guys. So make sure if you haven't pre-ordered it, you pick it up. Don't miss this tour. Cattle Decapitation, Carnifex, Faceless, Rivers of Nile, Summer Slaughter, Back to the Heavy. Dude, it's been great. So, Scott, man, I just want to thank you, dude, so much for the chat and uh, congratulate you on the on the record and the tour, man. So hopefully the seer keeps riding out and just as good for you guys. Right on, dude. I appreciate you having me on.
the Metal Sucks Podcast.
And we are back, guys. First song you heard is the title track off the new record, World War X from Carnifex. Once again, that album is out right now, guys. Pre-ordered it if you haven't. Pick it up today. Second song is called No Light Shall Save Us, and that is with Alyssa from Arch Enemy. We talked about that in the interview. As you can see, moody, great song. The atmosphere of this record, guys, it, it really gets to you. It sticks with you. Make sure if you haven't, check it out, pick it up, stream it, whatever. But make sure you get your ears on this record. And with that, I want to thank you guys once one more time for all the five-star reviews we keep getting on iTunes. Guys, means the world to us. Um, we got a bunch this last week, and I really appreciate that. All the guys that wrote about um, you know Dio and my struggles and all that stuff with that and all the kind words, I appreciate every one of you guys. That was super cool. And everybody that loved the fucking rap that uh, Brandon did. There's no, got to no, be no, more it wasn't raps. Me. It wasn't me. Briscoe and Dio. Briscoe yeah. and Dio. They, guys, they, were, they were the masterminds. Thank you so much for all that. Um, with that, guys, uh, we will be here. Now. Oh, by the way, this is episode 300. Oh, damn. What? They probably could have used us 300 episodes. <laughs> I know we didn't prepare to get like a special episode for this one, guys. It's been a lay- <laughs> 300 <laughs> episodes of the Metal Sucks podcast. We want to thank everybody out there that started it. Chuck, Godless, Vince, Axel. And then us three here in the room, guys. Oh. The whole team, guys, put all these episodes out there. I know somebody out there has listened to every single episode, made the transition from hosts, all that stuff, and supported this podcast for it's going on six or seven years now. Three hundred one is going to be huge, guys. You guys are the the. You guys are awesome, and we hope every week you've been entertained by every name that I've mentioned out here, um, and all the interviews that have been a part of that so about not every episode had a guest on there but i'd say about 275 to 290 because when chuck and godless started it was just them for a few episodes but the point is is that every one of those interviews man um man just just a just a, a real cool moment to have so thank you guys for those 300 episodes and we hope you guys hang in there because we got plenty more to come the metal sucks podcast is signing off This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network.